our thanks to our choir. Let us pray. Lord, open your holy word to our minds and hearts and lives. And open our minds and hearts and lives to your holy word. Amen. Now from the two readings that we've had read today, spectacularly good readings, uh, I want uh, to really focus upon the reading from Luke that we've just heard and the rendition by Elgar that the choir have just sung for us. Uh, it's, it's a kind of two-part sermon, but not in the sense that you've got part one and part two. They're sort of mingled together, so you're going to have to do some work this morning. Uh, first of all, we're going to look at the text and the context, and then occasionally we're going to ask, what does this mean for us today? Application. So let's set the scene. Jesus has been baptized, and Luke tells us that the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit falls down upon him, and a voice from heaven says, You are my son, my beloved, with you I am well pleased. And the identity of Jesus is, if you like, given by God. It's one thing to say, I am, it's quite another to have a voice from heaven saying, He is. And in the sense, we go through a trip switch in Luke's gospel, whereby Jesus' identity is somehow stamped upon him. And the Holy Spirit is the sign and the seal that God is in agreement about this. It's, if you like, the green light. After several years of preparation, we've moved very quickly from Jesus being a tiny baby in a manger and then a young boy going to the temple. And then many chronological years later, here he is going through a green light to say, now my adult public ministry can begin. But he doesn't start immediately healing people or ticking off the Pharisees or going up mountains and pronouncing sermons from the mount. Instead, he's led by the same Holy Spirit that filled him at his baptism into the wilderness where he will spend 40 days and 40 nights being tempted by the devil in various ways. And we'll focus upon that wilderness experience when we start Lent in three weeks' time. When Jesus comes out of the wilderness, he returns to Galilee, his home area, if you like, where he begins a preaching ministry and attends the synagogue on the Sabbath, where he makes this fantastic statement, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and all those marvelous applied statements that Jacob read in our reading and the choir took up in the anthem. So it's quite clear that while Jesus is in the wilderness, he has been speaking and listening to God and has begun to work out what is at the heart of the reason for him being here. That's one of the ways in which we use the word rightly of the wilderness. Some translations go with desert. Luke uses often the word that's better rendered wilderness because a desert might be a hot and arid place and we understand what a desert experience is. A wilderness experience is something slightly different. It's where you're trying to find your way. 
And some people often go away on retreats in order to try and just sort out what God's saying and which way I should go now and should I do this or should I do that. We see exactly the same thing here with Jesus. He arises out of the wilderness and it's almost as if he says, I've now got clear in my mind who I am and what I've got to do. And he goes straight to the synagogue in his local town and we get here effectively when he proclaims these words, his inaugural proclamation. I know why I'm here. I know what I'm here to do and it's this. Now, let's pause a minute because our creeds and our hymns and our sermons make it clear that the reason for Jesus Christ, God's Son, coming among us lies in Easter and his death on the cross to sacrifice himself for the sins of the world and so to save us all. And of course, Jesus himself will make that perfectly clear when he starts to talk to his disciples about, I'm going to Jerusalem where I will be handed over to sinful men who will beat me and I will be crucified. And then he starts even later in Mark and Luke particularly, and after three days I will be raised from the dead. But we're not there yet. Wait a few weeks, those will be our themes. Here, right at the start of Jesus' public ministry, is Jesus' mission statement. What you've got in Luke chapter 4, in those four crucial verses, is the mission statement of Jesus Christ. Public figures of all sorts are asked what their key purposes are. Politicians are asked to lay out plans for this and that. At an election, they're asked to produce a manifesto to tell us if we elect them, what we can expect them to pursue and follow and enact. Business leaders or football coaches are invited into dire situations and declare within hours, I'll be spending the next few months focusing on this and that and the other in order that the company moves forward or into profitability or finds itself again or this football club will again uh, escape relegation or it will get into European competitions or whatever. It's the mission statement. This is why I'm here. Even churches have their mission statements. Ours is on the front of our weekly notice sheet. Often forgotten and taken for granted, mission statements are meant to encapsulate when you've stripped away everything except the most core significance of why you're here and what you're about. So what we have here in Luke is what Jesus understands his mission to be. And I suggest to you that those who try and follow Jesus, for whom he is the way and the truth and the life and the model to follow, what Jesus says his mission is should be very, very important to learn for those who follow him. I'm anointed by the Holy Spirit, he says, to bring good news to the poor. I'm sent to proclaim release to captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And scholars note that these themes, liberation, healing, forgiveness, the opening of the offer of salvation to all people, Jews and Gentiles alike, are the key themes of the whole ministry of Jesus 
in Luke's gospel. And some people refer to this passage as the gospel within the gospel. 24 chapters to this. So to people like us asking as church or as individuals what God wants of us, what we should be like, what we might do, what we shouldn't do, there's a very clear answer here in this passage. This is Jesus' mission statement. Proclaim good news to the poor. Be good news people, Jesus says to us. Release people from fears and addictions and oppression and be people yourselves who are released in God's purposes, those who support and work for life and liberty and fairness and mercy and all the things that demonstrate that the kingdom is coming. Invite people to see, to see what lies at the heart of life. To see that there's more to this than they might have first imagined. To get to a point where they say, well, we once were blind, but now, now we can see it. To declare to all and to declare to ourselves, this is the year of the Lord's favor and blessing and salvation. That's a mission statement. That's why we're here. That's why we're sent to follow Christ. If he is our example, that's what we're about. But let's just share a little bit more context here. You see, you've noticed already, most of you, because the congregation here in this church are ultra bright, I recognize that, that Jesus is doing what all preachers do. He's borrowing his material. This is not original Jesus. He goes into the synagogue and is handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. I don't know whether it was the set scroll for the day or it was Hobson's choice or what. But what I do know is that whether he asked for that particular scroll or not, he turns to a very particular passage. Luke's absolutely clear. He's handed the passage and he finds the place where it is written. This. He's not like our readers, Joan and Jacob today, who are asked to read a certain passage. Who might have said, Joan might have said particularly, look how long it is. What does he want me to read that for? And I said, well, if you want to read, that's, that's what the reading is. But Jesus says, this is, this is the passage I'm going to read. And it's actually bits of Isaiah chapter 58 and 61, sort of mashed together. Now, what was Isaiah speaking about when he first wrote those words? He was speaking about Jubilee. The tradition found in Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, all books of the law, and therefore instructions to the people of God, given to the people of God to follow. And what are the instructions about Jubilee in the books of the law? That every so many years, Leviticus specifies 50, which is why when a monarch or some very important person or organization has a 50-year anniversary, we still to this day say it's the Jubilee celebrations of 
And I always remember one of my boys saying, how long's a jubilee, Dad? I said, it's 50 years. Every 50 years is a year of God's special favor, says Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Land that has been taken away unjustly is restored to the rightful owner. Slaves are to be set free. Debts are to be cancelled. The land is left to be rested so it has a Sabbath of reproductivity. I declare a revolutionary idea, says God. It's a new beginning. It's meant to correct injustice caused by law or force or invasion or royal decree or unpayable debts or illness or death or natural disasters which lead to destitution and chronic poverty and fear. It's a revolution, says God. We start again. Jubilee was an act of grace and release and forgiveness and healing. I am come, says Jesus, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to release people from oppression, to give sight to the blind. I've come to declare it is the year of the Lord's favor. In other words, and this for me is the most important part of my teaching sermon this morning, I says Jesus, I am God's jubilee. Now ancient Israel never quite abided by the call of God about jubilee. It was either too difficult or too radical or the king at the time didn't buy into it or the priests came along and said but uh, the law says we're in the 50th year and we need to do that and they all patted them on the head and said yes well thank you very much for reminding us what God says we're now going to do this and before we get too critical we're not so different ourselves the nearest we came in recent times was the Jubilee 2000 campaign which many people joined in with a campaign which asked many governments of developing countries to cancel the crippling debts of the countries in the developing world. And it was hugely successful in comparison to most other such campaigns. Now perhaps it's the very radicality of the idea of Jubilee that causes Christians to ask whether or not this whole idea about Jubilee is a spiritual thing or a literal thing. Because one of the things that Christians are very good at doing when something's very, very hard is to spiritualize it. Was Jesus speaking spiritually about the spiritual poor, the spiritually captive, the spiritually blind, the spiritually oppressed? Well, I think he was. Each week, whether it's at our healing services next week or other gatherings, this very church, in this very congregation, like thousands of other Christian communities around the world, in all sorts of different contexts, proclaims the gospel of Jesus as good news and people among us experience jubilee. 
Their spiritual poverty is filled as they meet Jesus, the Son of God, and come to a point where they say, I hand my life and the leading of my life over to you. Lord, I have been going in the wrong direction, and I now need you to come, be with me, and lead me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. People like you and I each week are set free. We come with all sorts of things and in our prayers each week, we pray to be set free from bitterness or resentment, from guilt and cynicism. And Jesus comes sometimes supernaturally through the power of the Spirit and wipes those things away. And sometimes in a very, very tangible way, it's the conversations with other members of the congregation, but you go home and you suddenly think, the Lord, through his people, through his Spirit, has dealt with that, and I'm set free from it. Every day, people like you and I find that there's something that they didn't see or understand or they didn't believe or they didn't trust in. And suddenly something happens and it becomes more plain. And you think to yourself, what an idiot. Of course it is. I can see it. And they come to believe and trust in God and life starts with a new sense of direction and purpose. I once was blind and now I see. Those who receive Jesus, those who are set free, those who come to see, they experience jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor. And every day is a day of the Lord's favor. Which is why the gospel is known as God's good news. Now all these are miracles. They're spiritual miracles. Becoming a Christian, the gift of new life, the receiving of the Holy Spirit, being set free in God, being given a commission and empowered to go do what God calls you to do. They're miracles. Only God can do them. But I have to tell you that wonderful and true though all this is, we cannot simply spiritualize the notion of jubilee. Jesus didn't. His ministry is actually about the themes of jubilee. He heals the blind. He sets people free. Tax collectors, just to give one example, meet him and change their lives and give back many-fold what they've taken because it was wrong to take it in the first place. Practical things happen. Spiritual, yes. Only spiritual, meaning it reaches no other part of life or existence. Certainly not. You see, God's jubilee is both spiritual and practical because vertical grace requires horizontal grace. Vertical grace, the grace God gives, requires horizontal grace expressed to other people. Which is why this church, a very small part of God's jubilee community, the one church around the world, 
We're absolutely right to promote healing in the way that we do. It's a special charism of this church and its tradition. We're right to host meetings of those seeking healing, and we're equally right to run meetings for those who suffer from various ailments who come together for fellowship. Both those things are right. We're right to proclaim freedom to captives and share this place with people who are seeking to recover from addictions, and we're right to share the building with St. Vincent's Family Project. Both are right. And we'll know when we're succeeding in our mission of following Jesus Christ, when people begin to say to us, not necessarily in these precise words, but in the sentiments, these people are jubilee people. This is the year of the Lord's favor. One last thought. It's about the opening of Isaiah and the use of it by Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because all the ministries of liberty and healing and sight and favor flow from the fact that the Holy Spirit has come upon us. Why are we anointed with the Holy Spirit? I have met people who've used it as a kind of spiritual status symbol. Long gone to glory, I had one particular lady in the very first church in which I was ever a minister in 1749, or so it feels sometimes. <laughs> and she used to say to people, I'm far more spiritual than you are because I spend a lot more time praying. The husband used to say of her, my job is to grab her ankles as she spiritually appears through the, goes up through the ceiling. And there's undoubtedly true that she was a woman of some great spiritual power, but boy, did we all know it. I don't think that's why the Holy Spirit anoints someone, so they can boast how holy they are. I've met some people who have associated being anointed with the Holy Spirit as a sign of blessing, and rightly so, except that they've associated blessing as something that you receive rather than you give. So their whole of their life is, Lord, give me more blessing. Well, why do you want to be blessed? Oh, I just want to be blessed. Come on, bring it on, all of it. Whereas, in fact, the Holy Spirit, in my humble opinion, so you can see what a, a kind of heretic I really am, my experience of the Holy Spirit has been very profound over many years, but it's a bit like trying to get a drink from a water hose. You get an awful lot on you, but not a lot, great deal in you sometimes. But when you do receive the Holy Spirit, it's there to be given. It's, it's a throughput thing. I will give you more of my Holy Spirit because you need more of my Spirit because you are giving in my name. That's why people who give sometimes so profoundly find themselves the most blessed. 
Because at just the point when you think you're empty and exhausted, you actually find yourself the most full because you've been using properly what you've been anointed with. Here Jesus expresses the fundamental reason for the Holy Spirit to come and fall upon us as a congregation here in central London and individually every one of us as a person trying to follow Jesus Christ. That we know ourselves sent. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. He has sent me to proclaim. Sent is the word from which we get the word missio, mission. Mission is sentness. Sent to empower for the purposes of God and God's kingdom. So two things out of a kind of more reflective learning sermon. And if you're wondering where it's come from, quite a number of people said to me, look at a passage for us and just do some work on it. Luke 4, the mission statement of Jesus. Two questions of application, very, very briefly. If Jesus is God's jubilee person, then how much do we need to draw near to Jesus to experience jubilee in our own lives? We will not experience seeing and being rescued from blindness of all sorts of different things. Oppressions, addictions. Unless we humbly do what thousands and thousands and millions of people have done and draw near to the one who says, I have the answer. I am God's jubilee and it's the year of the Lord's favor. So in a few minutes when we get to the end of the service, some of you will know that you need to come and seek out those members of the prayer team and just say very simply but very profoundly, it's not a thing about histrionics, it's a thing about responding to the Spirit. I need to experience the Lord's favour and I need to address this and I need God's jubilee in my life. And the prayer people will say, the only way you can experience God's jubilee in your life is by receiving the Holy Spirit of God and drawing closer to God's jubilee, Jesus. There's no shortcut. And the other challenge is, as a congregation and as individuals, if that's what Jesus is like, and we want to be people of Jesus, and we want our church to be a church of that Jesus, then we ourselves have got to be jubilee people and jubilee congregations to discern how God's calling us within the body to exercise our gift towards this ministry, to support that cause, to be a church that stands for this, pours its resources into that, so that people look at us, not because we're important, though we do possess the Holy Spirit to give, and say, this is the year of the Lord's favor, because they 
our Jubilee people. Let us pray. Lord, pour your Holy Spirit upon us that we might know our need and draw near to Jesus, your Jubilee person. And that you might so come upon us that we recognize that our anointing and our resourcing is given by you to give and share that we might be jubilee to others and begin now to work in each heart that these words might be further translated into action in the name of jesus christ amen